Blog Talk Radio. Scientific breakthroughs, the unveilings, spiritual revelations, the openings. That's fine. Mm. Hijacking the mind. What? Aluminum bonds with intelligence. Rewind the message. Merry Christmas. Oh, 13 oh, oh. indigenous immigrants. State of the unison. Addressing nothing. Foundations can ruin. Level to level. Fuck the embezzlement. Tales from the crypt. Hitting blood rituals. 50 scores flying over California. Vacation. Flying dragons. Swords and daggers. Lions and tigers. Gotta get my parents or parish. To raw flesh, vampire, vegetarian I'm a malnutrition, chemically imbalanced Ethiopian, inhaling kush Blue projects get pushed Mold with the bush Standing on the middle line, no defining Swirling dervish, in between space and time Just a Tuesday, another news day North, east, west, south, west Not here to confuse the day Just diffuse the way Suffer from pain in your back to aches in your knees. Come on down and purchase you some ancestral tea to get rid of all the parasites, toxins, and fleas. Spiritual elevation for cosmic gravitation. So put away the patience, because there's no time to be wasted.
dreams aborted It's powerless like a circus shorted Shorted button up your jacket before you try to sport it It's cold outside, protect your chest from unforgiving weather I find your raw hide, chapter 10 like pig leather Now it's better, knowing better, a mental slavery debtor Got a vendetta for culture robbers and wool sweaters For me eugenics disease engineering and the prison sentence A church in Mosul with temple to face your God's penance I'm penniless living in the pit of poverty pimping is Not the perm that Cadillac pushing prints of the pinky kiss True pimping is corporations from multi-nations who form monopolies distort your situation the media's the medium the magic on the screen control your emotions tell you when to laugh and when to scream when to cry when to be angry when to bring hatred on the scene you know what i mean Contemplation, what I feed my body and my brain. So thinking outside the box, so where's the badge of the same? Donald Sterling proclaimed he don't want the jigaboos of this game. Can these finest slaves carry on like everything is okay? We got men in skirts and dresses. Most rappers sketchy with dressing because they want a two of Mac with more where the button I press it. Oppressive, the system flexes its muscles until you check it. Organize your spiritual weaponry. Now wreck it. I'm back from distant eons to chastise these peons who damage the earth for reasons. The senses for this season. Has come for the gods to return and wait with children to learn. Repent or get burned. This is the ancient man's turn to reclaim what he earned. He created with his sperm, his seed, his germ. Implemented into the great mother, none other. I ain't move propagandists take lies, banter with slander. Cops cocking Glock hammers and cuffing, reading Mirandas. Claiming they're right when they play South Paul trying to jam you. Physicians just pill pushes, lawyers just crooks trying to scam you. Schools are holding cells, better yet new age plantations. Teaching kids to worship the flag of corporations of devastation. Chris Cologne was worse than Al Capone. Get it home by sitting at home. I hope this opus penetrates your dome. To at the mouth, your phone attacking the lies they own. Oprah, I hope you listen and your Tyler Perry clone. The have not still have not sucker, but what we have got is a bunch of sad plots played out for some crumb drops. Couple houses, couple cars, some sperm shots. Yeah, your soul long gone, but your pockets got much fatter. Louisville slugger batter for the chatter. I'm out. I'll shoot the messenger, man. I'm just telling it the way I see it. What you expect me to do? To tell it like it is. To tell it like it is. Tell it like it is. I tell it like it is. I tell it like it is. I just tell it like it is. Tell it like it is. H.J. Roberts can tell it like it is. Peace, peace. Good evening, everybody. Welcome again to another 
edition of Tips and Tricks Tuesday, live on First World Order Radio. This is Brother Jamal sitting in for the good brother Blackwater, the Meta Magician. And we are back again to get it on in one more again. Today's date is March 28th, 2017. We are in the throes of spring now. So congratulations. We uh, made it through another winter. Give thanks. So going to get it in a little bit this evening. Got a few things to talk about. First, shout out to Dr. Eileen Bay, Princess Kadira L. Bay, visionaries behind this platform. Very appreciative of them just being real people, you know, real approachable people who are deep in their science, but not so deep that, you know, it can be approached. So let's appreciate them offering their platform. Shout out to Brother Blackwater, the Man and Magician, allowing me to sit in tonight. Tips and Tricks Tuesday, one more again. Peace to Brother Fahim L. And peace to you all, First World Order family. Tunes in every week. And listens here on uh, here live on Blog Talk, and also who go and look up these archives on YouTube, you're much appreciated. Make sure you get over to Dr. Aline Elbe right now, fast and in a hurry, to get your metaphysical, spiritual, physical needs addressed. This is a one-stop shop. You can go and get everything from birth charts all the way to healing herbs and and stones and jewelry, everything you can think of for to help you along your path of becoming. You can find it at Dr. Eileen L. Bay. Go over and support them um, so that they can continue to support you. So we're back again. A few little, few more little things we want to touch on tonight before we, before we get into the, the meal that we got prepared. Just a reminder that on April eighth, Inner Sanctum presents the Gnosis, Awakening Minds, Cracking the Bible Code. Uh, I will be lecturing there at Unity Center, 2163 North Illinois Street. That's Indianapolis, Indiana, 46202, Saturday, April 8th, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m., $15 admission. And if you have any questions, please email Miss Zeta, that's M-S-Z as in Zach, A-D as in David, A, the number nine at gmail.com and 
You can answer any questions you have regarding the event. You can go online at eventbrite.com and purchase your tickets now so that you know that you got your seat reserved because we're planning to pack the venue. Just a couple of things that we'll touch on briefly. We're going to touch on some of the creation story, formation of religion, um, specifically Catholicism, Protestant Reformation. We're going to give a critical assessment of scripture from a metaphysical perspective. We're going to deal with some hermetic philosophy, of course, some etymology. Um, We're going to uncover some ancient secrets and always going to deal with eschatology and much, much more. And we're going to have some information specific to the people in that area because you need to know just how important and powerful you are in this whole big scheme of things. So if you're in Louisville, Kentucky, if you're in Chicago, if you're in Cincinnati, if you're in St. Louis, all surrounding areas, Gary, Indiana, come on out and get some of this food, this delicious food that we're going to be serving. This is a SO Aquanine event, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place. All right. Uh, I want to thank everybody who's been reaching out and purchasing some of my lectures, my DVDs, and hitting me up in my email. I want to thank y'all. Um, I try to be a timely person as far as responding and getting those in the mail. I've been getting good feedback about them. So uh, <clears throat> if you would like to get one of some of the lectures that I have producing them uh, pretty rapid fashion. I got two right now, Symbolism 101 and Decoding the Matrix. All you got to do is shoot me an email, hjrobinson360 at gmail.com. Let me know, and I'll get those, you know, just leave your address. i get those joints in the mail to you ASAP. Those are... $15 a piece, and if you're buying uh, two of them at one time, it would be $25 for both DVDs. And um, just something for you to take your time. You can have your own copy and mull it over, rewind it, stop, take notes, whatever you got to do to make sure that you get the understanding that you need to. I mentioned in February that we were going to do some classes in March. People were emailing me about that. Let me tell you what's going down. Got a website coming here within the next month. By the end of April, it'll be up. This website will address classes and all of that because it's going to be a a hub, an, an information hub for occult, metaphysical, information. Sounded redundant, but it's all good. And um, what I'm going to do is something real simple is it's going to be a membership website. On the front end, you have, you'll be able to have free access where you can go on and become a member and just uh, have an account. You can go on and read because I'm going to be posting uh, some information on there. Like I'll be writing some blogs. 
And just for those who don't know, um, I got a pretty cold pen, so I, I'm, a, I'm a writer, and I can write for, for real. So I'm going to be putting some of this stuff on there so you can see how I write and my thought down in, in print so you can go back and review it and look at it and digest it. For those who want to have a little more access and a little more in-depth information, we will have a back end where you can become a paid member. And what we're going to do, instead of having the, if you just want to buy DVDs separately, that's cool. But if you want to just have 24-7 access to the complete library every time I put something up, then we're going to have a membership available for a nominal fee for nothing, peanuts, less than what you spend on a, 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 a grande latte at Starbucks. And it'll be a monthly membership. And basically what I'll do is I'll keep producing content, in-depth content. Also, we'll have uh, recommended books and much, much more on this website. I'm asking that you know, for those who appreciate information and appreciate the, 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 the art and the process of critical thought and assessment of data in real time to help support in that manner. I'm not going to ask you to contribute to a GoFundMe or anything else, and I'm not knocking that. But I want to give you something that's, that's you can get. It'll be an exchange, like my cousin say, even swap, no swindle. So, that way you can support this this movement, this movement towards uh, higher learning and enlightenment because we are here in a university, and we got to keep pushing the boundaries to boldly go where no mind has gone before. And that's what this website will be dedicated to. It'll be called mastersofthecosmos.com because that's what you are, a master of the cosmos. And until you reclaim that, Nothing else will do. I'm not settling for nothing less than the whole cosmos. So stay tuned. Be looking for it. I'll keep you posted. But for now, if you want to get some of these DVDs or some of the lectures, hit me up, hjrobinson360 at gmail.com. All right. All right. Got the, got the commercials out the way. Um, so just to give you just a little information about my point of view, how I approach this information um, that, that, that I present. If I would use a word as specialty or let's say a better word is wheelhouse, my wheelhouse for the most part I'm not saying that this is all I deal with, but my teaching approach, and if you've heard me before, you know this, I like to deal a lot with etymology. Now, the difference, though, is that most times past, we hear etymology used from a more left-brain application. What I've discovered is that the more, and for those who don't know, etymology is dealing with the root of the word or the mother of the word. Where does it come from? 
That's what we would call denotative part of language. But we still cannot throw away the connotative. Connotative is, is what is the accepted meaning of a word, so forth. Now, what I mean is that dealing with language, you got to approach it from a left and right brain application. You never want to segment anything in this world. We live in a world of duality, and once you try to negate or suppress one side of anything, you have failed at overcoming duality. You've actually fallen more into the matrix. So we apply that universally. So that means even when I'm dealing with language, I cannot get bogged down with being very just uh, just rational and linear and left brain in my approach. So I like to use the etymology as a gateway to then igniting my right brain or my creative brain because all the etymology is going to do is give you uh, a bridge, a bridge to get closer back to the original intended meaning and purpose of the word, which goes back to symbols. And you cannot approach symbols by purely left brain application. It has to be a full onslaught of your full faculties, left and right hemisphere, to get the deep uh, subterranean understanding of language. So I like to take that and apply this to esoteric science. You know, esoteric science is, you know, you, that, that, there's a lot of left and right brain application in that. So I like to fuse in both sides so that, I can, so that we collectively can get the greatest understanding. I also like to look at biblical scripture. Why? Because no matter how much we uh, talk down on the Bible, no matter how much we say Jesus is fake, he ain't real, none of the characters are real, it was a tool of slavery, yeah, we understand all that. But that Christianity and that Bible, they are ingrained in our subconscious minds. Now, that's not to say that we're forever doomed to just be Phi Beta Baptist, Church of Holiness, AME Zion Christians, but it means that if it's embedded in our subconscious, then let's go in there and learn how to convert that into something that's more useful for us, which is alchemy. So what we can do is by having an esoteric understanding of these biblical scriptures and fusing those scriptures with other mythological stories, we gain an even greater and deeper understanding of what was the original message hidden and tucked in the little jewelry box. We are on a mission to uncover the jewels. That's our job. Because if we don't approach life 
from that standpoint, then it would truly have been in vain. I mean, we know all of us is going to die. We know that. So there has to be something in between the incarnation down here to this plane and the exit. What is in between is the substance. What are you doing with this time? Even if we come to the to the to conclusion that death is the ultimate reality, but we we know that, but death without standing is a wasted incarnation. And what happens is if we do not get the understanding that we needed to get within the incarnation, we run the risk of extending the time of the prison warden that sits over us. So with that said, let's deal with the topic for tonight. Masters of the cosmos. That's our topic. Masters of the cosmos. Ignorance is worse than stupidity. Ignorance is worse than stupidity. Why? Because stupidity still reflects a sort of innocence. But ignorance can be very malicious and abrasive. You see, ignorance means that you've been exposed possibly to truth and decided to thumb your nose at it. And the truth is we have all at some point in our life, we've all been ignorant because if you had not been ignorant, you wouldn't have come back into a human body. So all of us have been ignorant. And it's been at different times that we've come out of our ignorance, different points in our life. Some of us came out at 10. Some of us come out at 30. Some come out, you know, uh, 25, whatever. It's at different times. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you come out. The only tragedy, the only true tragedy is to remain ignorant, not ignorance itself. It is to remain ignorant. So we'll start our journey here. The creation story in the Bible is the account of an entity attempting to nullify a rise in knowledge by creating a slave colony that ensures its survival. And what this entity does feed on is ignorance. It loves ignorance. The Gnostic text reveal this openly, which we're going to get into some of that. But let's say this. Even if you ain't even never read none of these Gnostic texts, if you take your time and read that Bible, it reveals the true intentions of the overlord, the demiurge. Okay, let's, 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 let's think about this. 
This entity that is called God in the Bible, and I want to say this, God is not one entity in that book. That's that's not always the same character that they put. The Lord said, God said, those are different characters. That's a whole nother conversation. Or should we say different personalities? We don't want to, because, you know, these are mythological stories. If you haven't gotten there yet in your journey, then, you know, you're just going to have to catch up. You're going to have to at least work from a base understanding that this is mythology we're talking about. Okay. So this entity, Yahweh, Jehovah, so forth, the biggest misconception is that this entity sent Christ to save the world. Now I'm going to give you something tonight. I want you to chew on this. I don't know if I ever heard anybody say this. But the Character in the book that is called Yahweh or Jehovah is actually the same as King Herod in the Bible. Now, 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 I'm going to show this to you as we go along. Now, you all know, we all know King Herod from the whole uh, Christ birth story. He's looking to find a the, the Messiah and kill the baby, and he starts killing all the little boys in the land. Because he does, he's afraid that this Christ child will be born. So, what am I saying? Christ never was on the planet. Never. That story about the birth of Christ is not a historical or a look back. That story is prophecy. Those are ancient scriptures from around the world prophesying, prophesizing, sizing about an end-time event such as now. And that character that we call Yahweh is the same as King Herod. Let's give you some evidence. We know that Christ could never have been on the planet in any form or fashion as represented in this book as the Savior because the Bible itself says that he was slain at the foundation of the earth. All right? Let's go to... The book of Revelations 13 and 8. It says, um, All who dwell on earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now, hold on now. Hold on. Don't divide. Don't we sing in, didn't we use the singing church? Worthy is the Lamb. Now, who were we referring to? Weren't we referring to Jesus? Isn't he the Lamb of God? Don't we see over and over in the Old Testament how the the Lamb 
or the goat is slaughtered and slain as an offering. And then in the New Testament, supposedly Jesus comes and he nullifies all of these rituals and he's the lamb. He's the lamb. Then we get the the Greek lambda. We get in Hebrew the script lamid. And from that we get lame. Jesus heals the lame. So if Revelation says that the lamb was slain at the foundation of the earth, then that means that, that story was not talking about something that happened in the past. That story of the birth of Christ is foreshadowing, prophesizing into the future, the future which is now. Okay. Now, let's talk about what Christ's mission is, was and is, and how it is spelled out in two passages, two passages. First, we're going to go to John 11 and 17. John 11 and 17. It says, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Who is he? Who are they talking about? Talking about Lazarus. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Her brother is Lazarus. Okay. Lord, if you had not, if you had been here. Okay. That's deep. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God, even who who comes into the world. Uh, I want to skip down what she said. Where the hell is she said he'd been stinking for four days. Um, Well, let's just keep reading. Let's be patient. She said to him, when she said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had come, had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping. Okay, this is 
let me find this. I want to find this where. Uh, here we go. This is 11 and 39. Let's skip down. Jesus said, remove the stone. Now, let's stop right there. The stone. Now, what is the stone? I'm getting ahead of myself, but we, we, we can backtrack. The stone. The stone is the same cherubim and flaming sword that was put blocking the east gate after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. They said that God put a cherubim and a flaming sword blocking the east gate. That would be your corpus colossum in your brain, which sits between the two hemispheres of the brain, the left and right hemispheres. When Jesus says remove the stone, he is also saying remove the calcification of the pineal gland, which sits in the region of the corpus callosum, which is basically the middle of your brain, which is synonymous with circumcision. When you see that the, the baby was circumcised on the eighth day, they're not literally talking about circumcision. They're talking about the penis, as in the penis of the brain, that the, that the covering that is blocking it being removed. And the eight is chosen because it represents illumination, going beyond the seven chakras into the eighth, which is, you know, your your crown. So he says, Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Now, that four days is very, very important. And we're going to talk about this Saturday at our gathering of the inner sanctum, which will be, because I was supposed to announce this in the beginning, the inner sanctum study group, we will meet Saturday, April 1st, 2017, 3 to 5.30 p.m. at Fitness 360. I'm going to come back and I'll, I'll tell you all the rest of the details because I don't want to get sidetracked. But I'm saying this because we're going to go into the significance of this number four in that verse on Saturday. All right? But, and I'll come back and give you the rest of the details. But you see, Jesus or Christ's mission was to come back and raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, hold on. Let's, let's go to another mythology. And I know y'all know where I'm going. Lazarus, Azar, Azar, Asar, was killed and then reconstituted by his sister, wife, lover, Isis, who brought him back together and then cohabitated with him and created Heru, which is the Christ. So you see the story retold again here in John because the purpose of Christ is to come and raise a far from the dead. Now, where is he dead at? Dead inside of us, as in lying dormant. The underworld, lying dormant inside of us. So this story is prophecy. It ain't nothing that happened. It is what is happening now. Christ's consciousness 
is resurrecting Osiris or Lazarus. So that's part one of his mission, okay? Part two of his mission is spelled out in Matthew 10 and 34. You know, and I'm like, I've said this, talked about this a million times because it is it needs to be talked about a million times. Matthew 10 and 34, written in red letters, so you know who's speaking. This is Christ speaking, supposedly, you know, not literally, but you understand. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So if the first part of his mission was to raise Asar up from the dead, then we see what is the purpose of raising Asar up from the dead? To kick ass and take names. That's the reason. Because he said, do not think I came to be walking around in sandals, uh, eating uh, kebab sandwiches and, and uh, falafel. I came to bring the sword. These are the two not D2, but two very quintessential verses or passages in the Bible that explain right in your face the purpose of Christ. To raise a saw from the dead, Christ as in Heru, as in Shiva, as in Dionysus, to raise a saw from the dead, and by doing that, to create an ass-kicking machine. Period. Point. Blank. I said I was gonna do this. Let's go. On. Let's talk about this number four, though. <coughs> Excuse me, because Lazarus was dead for four days. What's significant about that? We can pull all types of symbolism out of that four. <coughs> the four represents the four winds as in the swirling dervishes or directions that end life through destruction, which is the tomb, but also create the new bursting of water or life as in the womb. Because doesn't it say in Genesis that after 40 days, the water broke? Shout out to Dr. Eileen because he always remember that. He dropped that when he came to Dallas. After 40 Days the water broke, just as in gestation. After 40 weeks, the mother's water typically breaks. So we see that the number four, whether it's four or 40, is talking about the key to destruction and creation, right? So that's why they're putting that there as they talk about Lazarus. That Christ represented that fifth element that came to start a new reality. He went into the tomb where death was, and by him being the fifth piece, Christ's consciousness, now there's a new world, a new dimension birthed into reality. This is also why the 40th birthday is so significant. Your 40th birthday is supposed to represent the destruction of the youthful, foolish you. 
and the birth of a wise man or woman of Gnosis. That's why your 40th birthday is so significant. That's why I was 40 years in the mystery system. So Christ then obviously is our higher consciousness that has come to raise our sleeping souls. He only comes when the end is near. So that's the whole misconception. One of the biggest misconceptions introduced by Christianity to us, that Christ lived way back yonder and died way back yonder and is coming back sometime, we hope, way after we did, because all of us sing about when Jesus is coming back, but we hope it ain't when I'm here. No, the reality is that he never walked on the planet. And it was never a he. It's a consciousness. But that time is now. He's on the planet now. And it ain't just no one person, no Messiah. It's a consciousness. Which was makes it so, so, so dangerous. Beautiful times we're living in. Okay. And this ties into the next phase of his mission. Again, we see in Matthew 10 and 34, he's affiliated with the sword. All right. Now, to add to this, let's go to Matthew 3, 11 and 2. And I hope... Y'all are reading along with me in these as we go to these passages so it can you can see it in real time. Uh, we pick up at eleven, it says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. This is John talking, John the Baptist talking about Jesus. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Wait a minute. Hold up. Uh-uh, wait a minute. Now, who's supposed to deal with fire? Ain't that Lucifer, Satan, supposed to be dealing with the fire? What Jesus, what Christ doing burning up something? And what is Christ doing with a pitchfork? It says, his winnowing fork. They're talking about a pitchfork. Ain't that the image of the devil with the long tail and the pitchfork in his hand, and he dwells in fire? Ain't that what everybody's worrying about? I don't want to burn in hell fire. Well, it just says here that Christ will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Interesting. Hmm. Well, it makes sense because in Matthew 10 and 34, he said, I didn't come here to make peace. I came to bring the sword. Now, what's interesting is that we have proof, like I said, you got to deal with other mythological stories. We have proof that there's a stream 
or a degree of total synchronicity running between all ancient cultures because Shiva, I always talk about this. I'm going to actually read the story. I'm going to read the story. I think I have before. I'm, well, I'm gonna, if I can find it real quick. I'm just going to read it. Um, because we're going to see right there where he said Jesus uh, Christ burns up the shaft with uh, fire. Uh, it's a story where Shiva Okay, then Uma, with a smiling mouth and playful mood, covered the eyes of Mahadeva. That's another name for Shiva. Laying her lovely hands across them from behind. Instantly, life in the universe waned. The sun grew pale. All living things cowered in fear. Then the darkness vanished again, for one blazing eye shone forth, that's the pineal gland, on Shiva's brow, a third like a second sun. And it says, so scorching a flame proceeded from the eye that Himalaya was burnt with all his force, and the herds of deer and other beasts rushed headlong to Mahadeva's seat to pray for his protection. That's the Christ. Same thing that said they say Christ is coming to do is the same story as Shiva. So there again, we see the Shiva thing is still prophecy. Not talking about something that happened. This is the prophecy. This is what Christ's mission is, to come and burn up that which is not real, purified. All right? Now, further proof that Christ and Satan are one and the same. Isaiah 14 and 12. Isaiah 14 and 12. You've heard it. You know all about it. But we're going to... O star of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You were weakened. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Okay, we'll stop right there. <clears throat> the key part is, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. This is talking about Lucifer. Now let's go to Revelations 22 and 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Something ain't jiving there. How you and Satan going to be the son of the morning, morning star? Interesting. Because we're talking about two of the same thing. Or two parts of the same energy stream. All right? So the serpent then in the garden that in, uh, occurred, encouraged the attainment of knowledge itself was Christ. 
And because he was bound by Yahweh, Aldabaoth, Jehovah, which is the ego, bound him and made him crawl on his belly. What is that story really saying? That means that he had to remain dormant until the time came to be resurrected. So that means then that that same serpent would be Lazarus. That same serpent in the garden would be Osiris. Do you see how this connects? You can't read these stories the way it's laid out. That's the trick. You can never understand them reading them like it's a, a nursery rhyme book or it's a, or a history book. Those, that's not a history. It's a, it is a weaving of internal or esoteric truths put in a, in a way to where it will throw off somebody who's a neophyte. But you've got to study, then you can see who's really who. The serpent is Christ. But the serpent is also Osiris or or Lazarus. Christ came to resurrect Lazarus. In the Bible, the serpent was cursed to crawl on its belly. That means it had to lie down. That means it was like a limp penis, flaccid, waiting on Christ or Christ's consciousness to come back so that it could stand up and go to work. Facts. So the garden story that we see in the Bible is actually part one of the King Herod story. Now, what, what, now hold on, hold on. Hi. He's jumping all over the place. He got, he talking about the New Testament and that, this story in Genesis is the same as King Herod. Yes. Yes. Go back and listen to it again. And it all makes sense. If this, if this is don't make sense now, listen again. The story in the Bible of the serpent being cursed to crawl on his belly is part one of the King Herod story. King Herod, again, is Yahweh, Jehovah. And what he's doing, or it, or this concept of the brain is attempting to do is subdue the Christ, Satan, serpent energy. So if that's part one, what's part two to the Herod story? Part two to the King Herod, Yahweh, Jehovah, Aldabaoth story is found in Matthew chapter two. That's part two. Stay with me. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. Go to Matthew chapter two. We're going to read a little bit, so y'all be patient with me. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod, the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, stop right there. Exhibit A. Let's just go back. I'm going to read this so you can, you need to hear it all together. So you can, you need to put it, put it right there on, lay it out on the platter. Let's find this where, okay, this is Genesis chapter three, verse 24. 
Now let's start at chapter 3 verse 22 Then God Then the Lord God said Behold the man has become like one of us Knowing good and evil And now he might stretch out his hand And take also from the tree of life And eat and live forever Therefore the Lord God sent him out From the garden of Eden To cultivate the ground from which he was taken So he drove the man out And at the east of the garden East of the garden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Now we come back to Matthews, and we see that Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. So one story is in the beginning of creation. The gods were driven out of the blissful state into creation. But we see an end time story being told in Matthews because the Magi are coming from the east. And how many Magi? Three Magi, pineal pituitary hypothalamus, coming from the east where he where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in, again, the east, and have come to worship him. <coughs> when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Now let me drop some shit on you right here. Because I'm going to tell you at the end, I'm getting ahead of myself. But I'm going to go into, now you want to find out what the real New World Order, Illuminati, whatever name you want to whatever put to it. This is spelled out right here. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. All your Bill Gates, your Warren Buffett's, your... Rockefellers, Rothschilds, and all these other purple pope, black pope, orange pope, your mama's pope, whatever pope you want to call it. This is what they meet on. This is their greatest fear. It ain't about no money. It ain't about no damn water or no land. Ultimately, it's about the story of King Herod. They're worrying about Christ being born. Real shit. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, which is house of bread or the mind or the womb, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may too come and worship him. Now, didn't J. Edgar Hoover say we must mobilize, mobilize and neutralize the rise of a black Messiah? King Herod's story right here. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, 
went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell on the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is talking about the breakdown of the uh, sacred jewels that are inside of the melanated blood. Period. Point blank. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. This is a future prophetic story that I've just read from Matthew talking about right now. All right? So I read that in there. I said that Herod said, Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired where the Messiah was to be born. Where is he he at? What that is doing is showing, actually, the fears of Yahweh, Aldabaoth, the Demiurge, King Herod, all synonymous. The true fear (coughs) is of God really waking up, of the real God's Waking up. Give you some more evidence. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's go to Genesis 3 and 17. Yep. It says, and then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree. About which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Curse is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Now, what tree did they eat from? Pray tell, as we say in, in, in the countryside in North Carolina, pray tell. Let's, let's back up, though. Let's go to Genesis 3 and 7, though, just to show you how we got here. Then the eyes of, this is after they ate from. The tree of knowledge. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now, naked means Aram. It's it's, it's Aram in Hebrew. Aram and Aram are synonymous. And it means subtle, crafty. Now, if you go over to the Hindu pantheon, and we deal with something called subtle energy, it's the same as prana. So what happened is Adam and Eve, once they had knowledge or gnosis, they saw their subtle energy. See, we always heard about the naked, and we think it's some people running around, you know, some little young teenagers running around. It's like, oh, look at me. I've got breasts. I'm so ashamed. It ain't talking about that. That's why you have to do your due diligence with etymology and using your strong concordance to see, well, what does the word translate in Hebrew? Then you take your etymological dictionary and you compare, cross-reference, and you'll get the full meaning of what's hidden in the scripture. They recognize their subtle energy. Basically, they recognize that they were gods. And they knew, listen to the word, and they knew that they were naked. 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves lawn coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves, a cult, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. I hid myself from my ego. I hid myself in my subconscious mind. Get out. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Translation, Who told you that you were subtle? Or had subtle energy. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the right brain led the left brain to gnosis. But it was the kundalini energy that came up and gave the right brain the information to give to the left. So that is how we got up to chapter 3, verse 17, where it says, because you have done this and listened to this woman, you have eaten from the tree, uh, <clears throat> curses the ground because of you. Now, I want you to understand this. The word curse means to run through from its etymological root, to run through. Now, interestingly, the word truth in Hebrew is emet. I've said this before. Emet, aleph, mem, tav. Aleph, first letter. Mem, middle. Tav, last. That means first, middle, end. That means running through. So here you've been taught all your life that a curse is bad. It's a blessing to be cursed. Because so that means that the truth is running through you. That's why you catch in hell. That's why your life is shit and you frustrated. Because the truth is in you. And there's an entity that wants to subdue you and hope that the truth does not come up out of you. So do not be dismayed about all of the trials and tribulations that you're going through because you're going through it because only you are capable and worthy to go through it. Facts. So we then go down to Genesis 4 and 1. And we're going to see a twist. Now the man had... Now let me go to another one. And the man knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Now, hold on. Hold on. Something ain't jiving right now. Now, the whole thing that got all this started is the fact that they ate from the tree of knowledge. Right? That's the problem. But then he goes jump down to chapter 4, and it says, and he knew her. See, that's why in some of these other translations they changed that word. They said he had relations or he lay with her because that contradiction, that's why you got to have different versions of the Bible because they try to hide stuff so that Negroes like me can come and, and, and find this and recognize the contradiction and then see what the true meaning is. 
Why is it not okay to have knowledge, but it's okay to know her? Now, you're going to say, oh, they're not talking about it that way. And it's no, the word is no. K-N-O-W. Knowledge is bad just a chapter back, but it's okay now. So what are we really, what's really being conveyed to us? And what does this have to do with this character, Aldebar? The whole thing about this character is that he does not want you to have gnosis. He does not want you to have gnosis or knowledge. The reason that no is used for sex is because the root of the word no is the same as the word genitals. Genesis, gene, genetics, knowledge, gnosis, they all come from the same family of words, starting with G-N or G-E-N. And the G-N shifts and becomes a K-N. All talking about conceiving, the word conception, the word pregnancy, all of those come from the same family of roots. So what has happened here is that it's okay to know with your genitals, your penis, your vagina, because that keeps you on the level of an animal. But you can never have access to your higher genitals, which is your pineal gland. That's what the story is saying. That's why it's bad to know in chapter 3, but it's okay to know in chapter 4 because we're talking about two different types of knowledge. You can have knowledge of her anatomy. An animal got that knowledge, but you cannot have the higher knowledge of your upper penis. And that is why King Herod is looking for the Christ child, killing up all the babies. Because he is the same as the character in the beginning who tried to subdue the Christ consciousness. So King Herod is in the future. And he knows the time has come for this to wake up. And he is afraid. He's very afraid. So much we can glean from these passages, and I might have, you know, uh, um, we find the foundations of Darwinism. That man is no more than the extension of the mammalian animal using sex, i.e. knowing, just as a means of procreation, which I touched on. Meaning living life as a blind creature acting purely on impulse and intuition. We also find a deeper kind of knowing then would denote something greater than just a slave or animal something of a pristine origin, a God or even higher. So I got to read you something. I got to read you something. This is from Dionysus, Myth and Cult by Walter F. Otto. 
I want to read you something out of here. Um, <clears throat> it says, uh, I'm going to read all of this. Cultus is a totality, as a totality, belongs to the monumental creations of the human spirit. To get a proper perspective of it, we must rank it with architecture, art, poetry, and music, all of which once served religion. It is one of the great languages with which mankind speaks to the Almighty, speaking to him for no other reason than that it must. The Almighty or God did not earn these names of Almighty or God only by striking fear into man and forcing him to win his goodwill by favors. The proof of his greatness is the power it engenders. The word engender also comes from the same family of words I just named, creation, conceive, genital, genesis, generate, gnosis, knowledge, all come from the same family. The proof of his greatness is his power to engender. Man owes the highest of which he is capable to the feeling of his presence. And this highest is the power to speak, a power which bears witness to the marvelous encounter through which it is conceived and brought into being. Every manifestation also unlocks the soul of man, and this immediately results in creative activity. Now, I know he uses this language about his, his, and he's talking about something like a deity outside, but understand what he's ultimately saying. God only has the power that can be manifest within you. Without you and I having a human experience to manifest the power of God, God has no power. It is only through the activation and the relationship with one's higher energy source that quote-unquote God is manifest, I'm making sense. So this idea of a uh, tyrant that sits over you and created you just a servant, that's false. That's false. That's why it's called a demiurge. It's, it's perpetrating a fraud, as my brother used to say back in the day. Perpetrating a fraud. The only God that can be manifest is within you. And that's what these scriptures are saying. That's what this entity that is acting as God is afraid of. We now pick up the Gnostic story of creation. All right? I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. I always say that the original creation story is the result of the first diagnosed case of schizophrenia. The original mother-father source or central processing unit or mind broke up. The feminine side of the mind decided it wanted to know itself, independent of its consort. In doing that, it created something that was ill-developed, underdeveloped. That being the demiurge, Aldabaoth. So this, 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 this is 
psychology, you're talking about a mind that kept on splitting and splitting and splitting. Okay? The feminine side of the mind recognized its flaw and its error in creating this blind God. That's what Aldabaoth means, blind deity. So Aldabaoth, in its blindness and ignorance, decided to do something that was outside of its its intended purpose, which was it created something to be under it so that it could lord over it, which is creation. It fashioned the human body, which means scientifically or metaphysically that spirit bodies slowed down in rotation so much that they became dense. That dense spirit body became matter. And as the matter became more and more into um, visible, into so-called reality, the spirit lost more of its essence until matter became fully into existence. Now, these Bodies were not animated, though. So Aldebar reaches out to its mother to have um, help in animating the bodies. So she tricks him and says, let me blow my essence into you. Now, if you really want to cook your noodle, what really happened was it was incest. They had, you could say that it was sex. They co-mingled their energy, but she had to mix her energy with his so that her essence could be blown through him into the original man. All this is in the Gnostic text. You get the uh, gospel according to the gospel of John. Hold on. Get the Bentley Layton's Gnostic scriptures is one of them. You uh the creation of the universe, the secret book according to John, it's in there. Uh, it's in the Gnostic teachings according to St. Arrhenius. Um, who else got it? Um, those two for sure. You get the book. You're also going to find an account of the creation story in Walter Scott's Hermetica, amongst other sources. So they, she had to co-mingle her energy with his so that she could blow through him into man, her essence, which is higher than Yahweh, Jehovah, blew her essence into man. So that means he was forever paranoid about them rising up and realizing who they really were. Subtle energy, prana, energy. Chronic energy. What? Where did she get the power to blow into him, though? Her other half sent down five heavenly hosts. Five. That is Christ. Sent down the Christ energy, or Osiris, or Lazarus, to be blown into original man and woman, which is also the serpent, which was made to crawl on his belly. That means that that energy that she put in them 
which was upright and fully functional, once they understood what they had, this entity, Aldabaoth, shut it down in them, and it had to go dormant until such a time as right now. Now, we find the same doggone story in ancient Kemet because Osiris, Horus, Set, Isis, and Neptes are called the five epigominal deities. Epigominal means those which are left over or those who were sent down. Well, for something to be left over, don't that mean it's a remnant? Don't we talk about the remnant in the Bible? Well, this would be it, the five epigominal deities. See how these things overlap. Well, what character is synonymous with the number five? Again, Christ, because Christ goes to the cross, which, again, is your four directions, and he creates the fifth element. New life through destruction. So this same satanic Christ energy that we're talking about is actually the seed that would eventually germinate. One story is talking about how it came down and it was implanted. And then then we're talking about later how it rolls back up. How does all this apply to now? The Kabbalion says in his first axiom that the mind is all and all is mental. We're all very familiar with that. So that harkens back to our understanding that the original creation story is that of alternate personalities. And then a particular group appearing much later in the time continuum, assuming themselves to be real, assuming themselves to be superior, just as Aldabaoth did. Now, I want you to sit. I want you to ponder. What group does that sound like? Listen to this again. The original mind went crazy, and it created alternate personalities called thought forms. And those thought forms eventually created a particular group which appeared much later in the time continuum. And this group assumed themselves to be real, assumed themselves to be superior, just as the Demiurge assumed itself to be superior in its blind ignorance. Who in the hell does that sound like? Let you ponder on that one. Now we're coming on home with this thing. Now we're bringing it home. Because the number one weapon of attack for this group of people is something that you would never, never imagine. You think it's, you know, something that sounds terrible. No, it doesn't sound terrible at all. Their number one weapon is called philanthropy. Yeah, philanthropy. That's right. They create poverty. They create sickness. And then, see see how slick this is? I told you World War III began in 1964. Lyndon Bain Johnson. 
known racist, launches something called a war on poverty. How asinine is it for a society that is built on somebody's suffering? Do you understand in a capitalistic society, somebody always has to suffer? Somebody always has to be on the bottom. So for a society that prides itself on being capitalistic in the free world, to say that they're going to launch a war on poverty, they say that they're going to launch a war on the people who live in poverty. So fast forward to 2017, this whole philanthropy thing. The same people who brag about their philanthropy actually contribute mightily to poverty. They contribute to sickness, inequality, wars. Then they turn around and propagate themselves as healers and humanitarians. So when we talk about all these stories out these books, all these stories out these old texts and things, and talk about these aliens or these, okay, you know, people with no souls. We're actually talking about thought forms. These people we see now are the result of thought forms that slow down into matter, but they never had a soul attached to it. They have human bodies. They blink their eyes. They scratch their balls, all that, but they have no soul. And they have an agenda to suppose themselves as real and to survive. Now, how are they going to do that? Fourfold, to hold you in a stasis and study you until they find a way to tap in without getting engulfed or swallowed by the black hole melanin marula. We know the marula is produced in the blastocyst, and it's uh, called omnipotent. That means it can be anything. That's the black dot. The black dot is chaos. It can be anything. They're trying to hold it and study it until they figure out how they can attach to it without getting sucked in. That's why they put so much emphasis on their technology, because what does technology do? It works as an interface. I have a monitor so that I don't have to actually go in and press stuff on the on the the micro board in the, in the back of the computer. I have the monitor, the interface. It goes in and communicates with the the software, the hardware, the hard drive, and all that. So then it gives me a picture on the screen the result of it doing this communication in the back. It needs something to interface with this melanin because it knows it will get sucked in, get out. To shut down any of your faculties or desires to conceive a reality that goes beyond what they have laid out for you. To shut down any of your faculties or desires to conceive a reality that goes beyond what they have laid out for you. Three, 
to merge you with their technology in hopes of tapping into what, to what, uh, to the way you operate. No, 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 no. To tap into you and operate you remotely. You got all these drones flying around. The drones are nothing but concept vehicles because the real drone is going to be humanity or the real drones, plural, is going to be humanity. How does a drone work? It is a, a, a machine that is operated remotely. They're practicing for us or for those who are asleep to be their, their drones. They'll be the minds. They'll be the brain operating. Merge the software or the, the technology with you or whomever, not you, because you, you awake. That's what that's serious business is what they're doing. Number four, to use you as a source of power to drain and eat you. The new age of vampirism. And I want you to go and Google this term, augmented reality. That's the new deal right there. I told y'all to go to uh, World Economic Forum. You need to watch. But when they had those discussions with Bill Gates and all these other so-called Jack Ma and all these, you need to be listening because they're very subtle. That's what we're looking to do is just enhance and just to change the trajectory and to help everyone just have a chance for an awesome life, a great life. Everyone deserves a chance. I think it's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They said, I think they're the ones who say for a more just and prudent world. Now, I want you to think about this, this whole philanthropic thing. Whose idea of just and prudent are we relying on? Has anybody ever asked that question? Maybe my idea of a just world is one where everybody got a damn hatchet on their neck. And if you fart or burp, I chop your head off. Maybe that's my idea of a just and prudent world. Where everybody who wears a size 14 like me, when I go to the store and can't find no shoe, I take their ass to the guillotine and cut their toes off. That's a just and prudent world. See? They put it out in plain sight, but we don't pay attention to words, to language. Now, this is something that, that the brother Blackwater dropped on me earlier today. How they keep, they, they've used this quite often. They, you know, there's, there's a Bush, the son used this in his second inauguration. They are striving for finding the ancient hope. Look that up, the ancient hope. Let me see if I can find this excerpt. When Bush was given his second Inaugural speech four years later, he once offered cryptic commentary saying, for a half century, America defended our own freedom by standing watch on distant borders. After the shipwreck of communism came years of relative 
quiet, years of repose, years of sabbatical, and then there came a day of fire. A few paragraphs following, Bush added, quote, by our efforts, we have lit a fire as well, a fire in the minds of men. It warms those who feel its power. It burns those who fight its progress. And one day, this untamed fire of freedom will reach the darkest corners of the world. And let me see, let me see skip down. What does he say that? Uh, that uh, uh, he's building up to the ancient hope thing. Um, I lost the place. Ancient hope. But either way, either way, you can go and read this. Uh, just go and Google ancient hope, and you can see how he put it in his speech. Because um, I lost my place. I had it marked on here. But either way, what is the ancient hope referring to? Here we go. The phrase of a new order of the ages is taken from the Masonically designed Great Seal, and Bush further acknowledged that the secret society members were acting on an, quote, ancient hope that is, quote, meant to be fulfilled. What they're actually saying is that what we've been talking about all night is that you are the Christ people, melanated Christ people, and you were at the foundation of the earth and you were slain which is the same story as the Titans. The Titans were slain. Uh, Tiamat was slain. The story is told over and over. And you were slain, but you were never actually killed. You were just subdued and lying, lying dormant to be resurrected. So when they say they're acting on the ancient hope, they're talking about taking your Christhood from you and finding some doorway to walk into it and they become the Christ. The philosopher's stone, the smooth ashlar, upright and on their square. That is what they're saying that they're going to do. It's not about money. It's not about Anything superficial you think, it is about becoming you without you swallowing them up. That's the hope. That's the ancient hope. So for those of us who get it, bottom line, let's stay focused. We got work to do. Their job, they know their job, they own it. Their job is tech. That is their spirituality. That's their holy temple. That's their church. It's technology. Ours is our spirituality. That's it. All you got to do is be you. All you got to do is become that which you are supposed to become. That which... You were bound to become from the beginning. Tell you about a couple of things about this Christ 
how it will be manifest. Brother Bobby Hemet used to always talk about this. And uh, I just think it's one of the most beautiful passages, you know, and I like to refer to it. It's coming out of The Secret Doctrine by Madam H.P. Blavatsky, and I hope I Okay, she's talking about the powers of melanin and also Christ rising up. And here it says, if the question is asked by Mr. Keeley, was not allowed to pass a certain limit, the answer is easy. Because that which he has unconsciously discovered is the terrible sidereal force known to and named by the Atlanteans Mashmak, that's talking about melanin, and the Aryan Rishis in the Ashtar Vidya by a name that we do not like to give. It is the Vril, which is another name for melanin, of Bulware Lighten's coming race, and the coming races of our mankind. The name Vril may be a fiction. The force itself is a fact Doubted as little in India as the existence itself of the Rishis, since it is mentioned in all the secret works. Yes, indeed it is. It is the vibratory force which, when aimed at any army from an Agni rock. Now, now an Agni rock, Agni means fire and rock means chariot. Talking about the pineal gland. See, Bavosky liked to speak in double talk. Now, again, she was a 33rd degree mason, so she was she was hiding and speaking in code for only certain people to get it. So Agni Roth is a fire chariot. Again, talking about Shiva, talking about Christ. Okay, fixed on a flying vessel, a balloon, according to the instructions found in Ashtar Vidya, reduced to ashes 100,000 men and elephants as easily as it would a dead rat. It is allegorized in the Vishnu Purana and the Ramayana and other works and the fable about the sage Kapila, whose glance made a mountain of ashes of King Sagara's 60,000 sons. Once again, that's Shiva, and which is explained in the esoteric works and referred to as the Kapitashka Kapila's eye. And it is it this satanic force that our generations were to be allowed to add to their stock of anarchist baby toys known as melanite, dynamite clockworks, explosive oranges, flower baskets, and such other innocent names. It is this destructive agency which once in the hands of some modern Attila, for example, a bloodthirsty anarchist, would reduce Europe in a few days to its primitive, chaotic state with no man left alive to tell the tale. Is this force to become the common property of all men alike? No, it's not. But there are some people who do have it. The masters of the goddamn cosmos. Phone lines are open. 563 Nine 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 three seven three eight. This is Brother Jamal sitting in for Blackwater, the Meta Magician. 
You're tuned into Tips and Tricks Tuesday live on First World Order Radio. Masters of the cosmos. Anything less would be uncivilized. That's my offering for this evening. That's who you are. You've been written about quite often. Your story is all over the globe. I want to remind everyone, this Saturday, Inner Sanctum presents Holy Grail Sacred Blood. Holy Blood Sacred uh Holy Grail Sacred Blood. We're gonna it's gonna be a good one. This is Saturday, April first, twenty seventeen, three to five thirty PM. It'll be at Fitness 360, that's 4312 Live Oak Street, Dallas, Texas, 75204. We're asking for a $15 donation at the door. You got any questions, reach out to purpleless at eloriaweb at msn.com. That's purpleless, P-U-R-P-L-E-L-I-S at uh, Eloria Webb at msn.com, or you can hit me up my email hjrobinson360 at gmail.com. We got a good brother here locally that's going to be speaking. I think this is his first time speaking. Um, it's his first time speaking with Inner Sanctum, and he's not going to be his last because the brother has done his due diligence. To study to show thyself approved, brother named Wally Bay. He's gonna get everything kicked off. We're looking forward to it. We want the place to be packed. We want the place to be packed. Understanding this is a labor of love, just to put these things on. You know, Purpleless goes out and uses, um, puts her fi- finances up on the line, not knowing what's going to be the turnout or whatever. And, you know, and it's just purely out of labor of love. It ain't like none of us ain't, you know, we ain't making, we ain't pushing no Bentleys off this. It is something, it is because we recognize that this energy is real and something, it has to be harnessed. Christ is on the planet, y'all. Don't look around. Don't wait thinking, when is he coming? Oh, it's here. Not he, not her, it. You, it's here, sleeping in the ship, asleep, just waiting for you to wake it up. So that's why these events like this are so important, and it's why you got to come out. Hell, I don't care if you even got to come from Shreveport. If you got to come from, from damn Norman or Oklahoma City, it's worth it. You sit around all week and you be around all these fools you can't talk to and you're frustrated. You're in the salon and can't talk to nobody. You're in the barbershop and can't talk to nobody. You're at work and these fools don't want to. I mean, it's worth driving to come and just be in the midst of people who are hungry to know thyself. So we're looking for you to be in the place. Saturday, April 1st, 3 to 5.30 p.m., We'll be at Fitness, that's F-I-T-N-Z, 360, 
And that's at 4312 Live Oak Street, Dallas, Texas, 75204. Have your face in the place. and Come ready, bring you a notebook, bring you a pencil, and come ready to, to learn. So, um, once again, we'll be in Indianapolis, April 8th, that's Saturday, April 8th, 4 to 8 p.m., talking about the subject of Awakening Minds, Cracking the Bible Code. It's a $15 admission. Uh, we're going to go in covering everything. If you have any questions, email Veda 9 at gmail.com. Go to eventbrite.com and type in Awakening Minds so you can go on there and get your ticket right now so you don't have to worry about standing and you'll have your seat locked in place. If you want to get one of my lectures, hit me up. One of my DVDs, hjrobinson360 at gmail.com. Right now I've got Decoding the Matrix, Symbolism 101, and uh, we'll be taping Saturday's function of Holy Grail Sacred Blood. That'll be available soon. But hit me up. If you got any other questions or whatever, you just got questions about a book. I mean, people email me just asking about books or whatever. You know, it don't matter. I'll hit you up, and we'll, we'll, we'll converse. I always want to thank again Blackwater and Madam Magician for allowing me to sit in. Dr. Eileen L. Bay, Princess Kadira L. Bay, thank y'all for opening your platform up. So as you can see, the young lion has made it back. <laughs> he got something to say. Uh, and thank all of y'all for listening. I never take it lightly. You know, uh, what I'm involved in here, and it's just a, it's a privilege. It is a privilege to just be able to discuss these things, and it's a privilege to be living in these times. Even as tumultuous as they can be, we are very privileged, not just to be living now, but to be in the know, to be a part of the remnant, you know, so... That's all I got. If you got any questions, you got any comments, press one. You know, before we get out of here, I you know, give you a chance if anybody got anything they want to say. You know, speak now. Speak now or hold your peace until next time. I think I've covered everything I needed to cover. Uh see all the events. Told you about the inner sanctum this weekend. Told you about Indy. Um, I think that's all that's going on. Well, all right. You know, as always, stay down until you get up. And when you get up, stay down. This is the Gnosis saying peace out. H.J. Robinson I've been from the mountaintop To the valley lows But through it all 
managed to maintain my soul. Encapsulated in every raindrop that falls on my rooftop is a goal or a dream shot. By situations, circumstances, there ain't always second chances. You say you're holding, show me what you got. And I can't cope with these shattered hopes, and yes, my back's against the ropes. I'm blowing steam from my kettle pot. Lend me your ears inside these tears is the pain associated with a man that's trying to find his spot. When you look in the eyes of your children, realize you can't supply the items of their desires. So when your pride drops and the book stops here, to these fears I adhere until some income is near. I guess the picture won't be clear, so I keep plugging like a mule still trudging on the rope. I'm tugging, try. It's not a relevant word, your visions get blurred I'm lost with no shirt, 